Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is episode 159 here on the 28th of December. Uh, let's see. My last podcast was on 5 December, so hey, it's been a while. It's been 23 days. Why is that? Well, I can tell you, I suffered a biological attack of COVID um, with all the symptoms that you're used to and everything. Basically been, you know, really bedridden for two weeks. I mean, I could get up and do, you know, little things and, and get up a little bit, but um, essentially bedridden uh, due to this attack of COVID. And I had ducked COVID for really three years. I mean, um, it's been a while. And, uh, you know, I just didn't think it was going to hit me. I just didn't know, you know. And I, you know, kind of see the little snippets on the news because it's not a big story anymore. See the little snippets. Oh, COVID, you know, cases are on the rise. and But it's not a big deal. Hospitals aren't overflowing. It isn't, it isn't all that. Um, a lot of people like me got complacent because, because I was forced to, and, you know, I didn't have a chance to make up my own mind, but I had to take the vaccine and boosters, and, uh, I thought, hey, you know, I'm pretty much good to go. I mean, uh, then all of a sudden people started getting, who were vaccinated, started getting COVID, but they seemed to be getting mild cases, so I thought, well, even if I do get it, it won't be a big deal. Well, let me tell you something. I was, I was absolutely smoked. And because of the schedule I had, I knew exactly when and where I probably was exposed to the virus. And uh, what happened was literally uh, 24 hours later, started feeling, started feeling crummy, you know, like maybe I'm coming down with something, maybe I'm not, you know. Uh, 48 hours later, knew something was up. 36 hours later, I was flat on my back. Now, those aren't the hallmarks of a fucking biological weapon. I don't know what is. Um, If I'd been a military member manning some crucial piece of infrastructure, air defense or radar, you know, some sort of warning system, anything like that, literally, you know, once they know you've kind of been infected, they can just tick down the hours and then roll right in. So... It, it appears that it's a weapon to me. I mean, uh, it, it just appears that way. And I think that uh, a lot of people don't really understand it. Now, whether it was meant to be temporary and just incapacitate you or to kill you, I don't know what they were experimenting with. But I do know this. The people who are saying that this just, you know, wow, there's this little, there's this big town called Wuhan in China and they got an open air market where maybe the pigs are too close to the dead ducks and they got pheasants hanging there and they got guinea hens running around and, you know, there's quail eggs and there's a bunch of fish there and, you know, most of the fish is just kind of fresh killed and hung up there and, you know, all of this. And somehow all these germs just sort of jump around and create a cocktail and somehow COVID is created out of that. That's a bunch of garbage. Um, Especially when you have this Institute of Virology in town. Oh no, it couldn't have come from there. Somebody couldn't have left a door open. Somebody couldn't have gotten sick, you know, exposed to it and then ran around, spread it to everybody else. No, they blamed it on this open air market and it's a lie. And they knew it was a lie. You can't, when you just examine the facts 
as we know them. We don't even have the classified data. But if we have the, the facts, you know that it's a horseshit story. You know it is. And yet people like Fauci, you know, Fauci is a criminal. Fauci should be arrested, tried, and I know he's like 90 years old or whatever, but the rest of his natural life needs to be spent behind bars. Fauci is a criminal. The Democrats are criminals. At first, they didn't want anything to do. Remember this? At first, they didn't want anything to do with the vaccine because they said, well, it's probably shitty. It doesn't work and blah, 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 blah. I don't trust it. Biden himself said that. Once they, after they rigged the 2020 election and somehow managed to get in charge, then it was like, not only is it the greatest thing in the world, you know, they do 180 degrees, but we're going to force everybody to take it. Now, from my experience, my personal experience, I may as well have gotten an injection of water because that didn't do me any good. It wiped me hard. Now, I... I don't know, was this thing being designed as a battlefield weapon or is it retaliation? You know, the the Chinese, and I have friends who are Chinese. I have friends who are Chinese Americans who I went everything from to school with, very close friends, people who I trust. This is not talking about Chinese as in Chinese ethnicity. This is talking about the foul, disgusting human beings that are in the Chinese government that have really been totally screwing over the Chinese people, both in their country and overseas, for for decades and decades and decades. Um, you know, it, to believe that this thing came from the, the open-air market, you, you have to believe that the Chinese are the dirtiest people on the planet, and everything they do is dirty, and it's germ. I, I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. Not when you have an institute of virology, and this virus seems to come from the same place, and it seems to be a developed virus that's resistant to everything except these newfound vaccines. And we even found those aren't, those aren't really any good. Um, you know, it's disgusting. The, the people who are in charge of communist China are not above unleashing this on us to get, to get even for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, and they said, well, but it's spread around China, too, and a lot of Chinese people died from it. Well, they don't care about that, especially if it's older people. They could care less. They'd get rid of them. Those are dregs on society. Uh, you got to remember, the Chinese government, the Red Chinese, are the same people who, they have factories that make toys with slave labor, okay? That's the kind of people they are. You, th- you know, you think about that. You also think about, should they be trusted with an institute of virology? Have you ever bought anything Chinese that you say, man, this is superior quality? I mean, face it, most of the time you buy something Chinese, it's because it's cheap and because it will work just well enough to get the job done. Uh, And, you know, a lot of things like my favorite Athlon Scopes, Hey, they have a pretty high rejection rate. I mean, they actually get these things, they inspect them, and a lot of them don't don't pass their QC. So that's why Athlon scopes are made in China, but they're really pretty good because, hey, you're getting the ones that are made right. I, I can't imagine that the the level of manufacture and sloppiness that I see with the red Chinese um, 
can somehow they're, they're lab geniuses and they run perfect laboratories and nothing ever escapes you know I, I mean I just don't know I just don't know it was either unleashed on us or a horrific mistake happened and this thing got loose uh, people don't really need to be experimenting with stuff like this you know this is all this quiet research that goes on and apparently Fauci gave him a grant Fauci bankrolled part of this which is why he doesn't want to fess up to it um, you know it's it's absolutely disgusting like, apparently there are a couple of these things floating around the Ukraine remember that was kind of buzz about a year ago hey there's two or three now why would you have one one of these much less more than one of these in a place like the Ukraine I don't understand I don't understand the architecture that is behind the scenes when it comes to experimenting with deadly viruses. I don't understand why we do it in the first place. And I, I suppose that you get the, the pat answer of, well, you know, we create these things in a lab and we figure out how to combat them and then we can make better medicine. Okay, but how many of those places do you really need? I don't think, I don't think we need them dotting the globe. It just seems that there's a very sinister and very nefarious cabal behind this. I mean, it just, it's just awful. So I will just end this by saying, um, I have never been so ill in my life as I have been with COVID. I mean, one time I got the flu in the Balkans when I was doing a military mission there. And, and up, till, up till now, that was the worst sickness I ever had. Um, but that was nothing compared to this. Nothing. This, this, I can understand how this kills people. This is the sickest I've ever been. And uh, whoever is responsible for this has to be held accountable. And I would even say it's a capital offense. And I'll leave it, leave it go there. Turning that loose on the world, killing millions of people, and making hundreds of millions more horribly sick you know it makes the holocaust you know it makes it look as bad as that it makes it look as bad as that okay moving on to some other things um awesomely <laughs> my podcast has now been removed removed from youtube how it got there in the first place i'm not really sure i think podbean had some sort of distribution deal um and maybe I did click a, a YouTube thing. But anyway, I kept getting these hate things from YouTube. You're, you're spreading false election information. No, I'm not. It's truth. And, you know, whether they want to believe it or not is up to them. Uh, I have a right to my opinion. And, you know, the large, there's a larger picture I'll talk about. So the interesting part is the Google tards, and they are tards, um, you know, I have a right to my opinion. And they said, well, this is our platform and blah, blah, blah. Here's our, you have egregiously and repeatedly violated our community standards. Their community standards are commie. They're 1984 George Orwell. And they can stick them where the sun doesn't shine. And, you know, the funny part is my Google account, I couldn't, you know, it's like um, I would see a YouTube video, video and, you know, I'd click on it and I couldn't get it. And it'd say, hey, there's there's just a problem. You know, I'd get, I'd get that kind of, you know, error screen. There's a problem. What happened was when they suspended, of course, they kicked the podcast off their channel. They suspend my Google account, so I can't even look at 
um, YouTube videos. So they think like, ha, 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 we do. Well, all you need to do is just get another account and look at it, you know. And, and frankly, you know, I'm pretty much done with YouTube anyway. YouTube is a fascist thought control uh, type of deal where, you know, people, people put all kinds of stupid, outrageous garbage on there. And they hassle gun content cre creators. And gun content creators who stay on YouTube are stupid. So there's very little I want to see on there because I think the gun content creators on there are stupid. They, they just are for staying there. And there have been a couple of other, you know, attempts to create something. I would say that, you know, if you want to, you want to do that, that's, that's fine. But, you know, I mean, is the gun content on there worth a hoot anyway? And the answer is, well, not really, especially when you know it's been, it's so heavily censored. The funny part is, at the very at the very end of this whole thing, they, the, then this little thing comes up, and he goes, "To make this experience better, do you have any suggestions?" And of course, a whole bunch of four-letter words were starting to flow out, but I didn't use those. I said, "Yeah, stop being fascist censors. That would make that would make this all better if you stopped being a fascist content censor. You wouldn't have a problem." Let the market take care of it. Hey, if nobody wants to listen to my podcast on YouTube, and, and nobody was, because nobody, that, that's the other thing. Nobody listens to podcasts on YouTube. It's, they just don't. So uh, consequently, you know, it wasn't like it, it, it hurts me in any way. It actually, it actually makes them look more stupid. But I take that as a badge of honor. The YouTubicals, they're scum. Uh, the Googleites are scum. I'm actually using other search engines now because Google is scum. And, uh, you know, they think the bigger picture of this is they created this whole social media world, if you will, universe with all these different things. And it was the Wild West for a while. People could post what they want and all the rest of it. Some of it was outrageous. Rather than letting the market get rid of it, you know, because face it, the market will get rid of people like Alex Jones. It, it just will. Um, they had to come in control and censor. So all of a sudden they create this big speech platform, which is now censored, which means they have now censored how people can do this. And they do it under the guise of, well, you do have freedom of speech, but that's really the kind of the government thing. This is our platform and we can regulate what's said here. That's true, except now they've become a public utility. You know, the public utility can't turn off your electricity because, hey, you're, you know, you seem to be using electricity to read books that we don't like you reading, so we're going to turn off your electricity. Or, you know, you happen to have a lot of electrical toys that you play with at night, and we don't like that. You know, uh, so we, we don't allow them to do that, to individually pick out things that they don't really want electricity used for, and you know, let them turn it off individually. So that's that's the way these companies need to be treated. They're a public utility. And uh, if they can't deal with that, well, then we'll just shut them all down. Let people, and then set them up, set up alternatives as a public utility. That would probably smoke them. Because, you know, I, I know Musk paid $40 billion or whatever for Twitter. Twitter is, how, where do you see $40 billion worth of, of, worth in that 
Uh, same thing with Facebook. Oh, Facebook's worth billions of dollars. Okay, really? I mean, really? Facebook went away tomorrow? I mean, nobody's bank account goes down. So uh, I would say that's the, uh, you know, those things are way, way overvalued. And uh, it's it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. And they become just Democratic Party information propaganda devices um you know it just it just that's what it's become just like the rest of the media it's become democratic party propaganda joseph goebbels is there and and uh that's what it is oh there's something else kind of hand in hand with that is the new york city or new york state i guess lawsuit against gun companies because they've been advertising towards children and, and anyway, I, I looked into this. It's all a bunch of horseshit. It's because, it's because they lost the Supreme Court case about they've been infringing on people's right to keep and bear arms for huh, probably over 100 years, maybe 150 years. They got caught. They got a thing against them, and they didn't like it. They also didn't like the Roe v. Wade they overturned and all the rest of it. So now they're trying to get back. They're they're pathetic. This thing will, this thing will go to the courts. They even may get a favorable ruling, but it'll never stand up against the Supreme Court decisions. So you know this this thing is just it's it's again, the good part is it's virtue signaling on their side because they know they can't win because they're wrong. They're responsible for the deaths. All the people they've infringed their rights to keep and bear arms and to self-defense a lot of those people are dead and they're responsible for that institutionally responsible for that so they ought to think about that uh, personally i think new york new york california now oregon probably now washington um, and the rest of the northeast are a cesspool if you have Democrats in charge of your state, you live in a cesspool. And it's only a matter of time before uh, you drowned in it. That's all there is to it. Uh, the people in California, a lot of them thought they were smart. They moved to Oregon because Oregon had better laws. And then now Oregon is becoming the same cesspool California is. The same cesspool. Go, go to Portland. See what happens. Go to, go to the state of Washington. I spent a couple of weeks up there. It's weirdos weirdos are up there um the regular people just are are being pushed out and a lot of these really strange people are there so the new york city lawsuit we'll see how far that goes that's virtue signaling it'll drop off the rate it'll drop off the things as will just like nancy pelosi's uh <laughs> prostitute male prostitute problem with her husband you know that you notice you can't find anything about that now oh no no can't find anything about that guy's background or anything because um, he got beat up by his male prostitute that's why and they've they've shut it down you notice you don't hear anything about the uh what was it the gay club shooter in colorado springs who was non all, when it came out he was non-binary and wasn't just some queer hating redneck but when it came out, it was a non-binary person who probably couldn't get the hookups in the place that he wanted, whatever the story is. That's just vanished. Vanishes without a trace. And that tells you how corrupt the media is.
that tells you how horrible and corrupt it is. Oh, okay. Well, going back to going back to a few things that are here. Uh, surplus prices. Um, and in case you haven't noticed it, the prices of surplus rifles and handguns has has just it's it's gone crazy. I mean it it's been trending up pretty heavily, but now it is really going going crazy. Um, you know what is my advice to anyone who is shopping for these things? Number one, if you see it and you want it, buy it. Don't sit there and lament about the uh, about the price. Here's here's me. I've got I've got couple of old eight millimeter Mauser rifles. I got a Czech Mauser. I have a Yugo Mauser. Okay, I got it got those. But I didn't have a German World War II German Mauser. Why? Because you know I was buying other stuff. And back in the nineties, early two thousands, those things were cheap as dirt. Under a hundred bucks. You know, you get them out of the you know the former Warsaw Pact countries had, you know, scads of these things that were just stashed away and so I never bought one. Uh, just because there were other things. So I was at an estate sale, and I see one, and, you know, I, I went after it for four it, it four bills. I mean, four bills out the door, which is, you know, not a bad deal. I mean, compared to what they used to be, it's highway robbery, but it's not what it used to be. So you pay the current price. I saw it. I said I want it just to kind of co complete my collection. And so uh, I, I bought it. Uh a lot of military rifles go for a lot more. You go to Atlantic Firearms, and rifles that are not in as good a shape as the one I bought are selling for eight forty nine. Same kind of thing, you know. Late war German Mausers, you know, they're going for eight forty nine. So four four bills doesn't seem too bad, but it's a lot more than I would like to pay, and it's a lot more than I'm used to paying. And and you know, frankly, I I don't go out after these things. I I bought a Lee Enfield. Uh, four five years ago probably five years ago it was 200 bucks and I thought that was high because the one I'd bought before that some years before was 60 bucks so what I have to tell you is it's it's just a you know it's just relative value uh, that that same Lee Enfield that I bought for 200 I could probably sell for 400 or 500 I don't know it's a 1942 Lithgow Australian, so whatever those go for, this one could go for because it it's in good shape. Same thing with surplus handguns. Uh, a lot of them are going at prices which are competitive with, you know, new, more modern handguns. So the thought of buying, getting the value of buying an inexpensive surplus gun just isn't really there. Now, there are still some good deals out there. Um, and we'll talk about those. We'll talk about those later because a couple of those popped up in the questions and answers. But there are still some good deals out there. But they are what they are, and they're not completely cheap. They're cheap in comparison to other guns, but they're not cheap compared to past prices. That's for sure. You know, and one of the things that always you're seeing it less and less because that whole DCM generation is just aging out but there it used to be one of the most horrible things for especially the CMP and you know the civilian marksman program which is 
divest, helping the U.S. government divest itself of obsolete rifles. There were so many people who would just be outraged that they were not getting and what they would consider to be a never-issued rifle. Now, a lot of times they were too stupid to know that the rifles they were getting had just they'd gone through a rebuild process, went into storage. So the rifles looked new, but they actually were not. But some of these, most of these guys were too stupid to understand that. And when they started getting, you know, the, uh, they started going from service grade to rack field grade to rack grade, uh, a lot of guys just couldn't believe that, you know, they're just selling junk now. Well, no, they're selling what they have. And, and some of that stuff, especially when they get them from overseas where they haven't been through the rebuild, uh, especially ones like M1s, especially, uh, you're going to see a lot more wear on them. And actually, I think they're at the point where very few of them have GI stocks on them. I think they're actually restocking um, all these M1s because they just they're they're not coming in with good wood anymore. So, uh, and of course the the extra stock CMP had have have sold off, been sold out for years. So. Uh, they're they're getting new wood, and you know it's it, they're nice guns. Sometimes they refurbish them and call them collector grade or whatever. You know it is what it is. But there are a f still a few guys out there who are just outraged that they're not getting a brand new USGI rifle fresh off the production line. You know, and and I don't know that that was ever really true. Uh, it might have been true with O3A3s back in the early '60s, but the M1s and everything had all been through. You know, right after World War II, they, they rebuilt all the M1s. They just rebuilt them. The Korean War happens. The Korea, you know, those rifles go over to Korea. The government even buys more rifles. And when they come back, they go through rebuild. They were putting M1s through rebuild into the mid-60s. And I would, I would assume the National Guard turned in their M1s very early 70s. You know, like the, the Kent State thing, you know, that was... A horrible thing in many ways um, in practically every way I guess but those you know those troops used M1s and I think when they turned those in those were probably put through some sort of a re rebuild or refurbishment so um, every M1 that's come out of US government stores has has been through it it's been through it there are very few that are original and the ones you see that are quote all original and all quote correct quote unquote that's just been parts changers out there just you know they buy the books they figure out what parts that, that you know should have been on it when it was manufactured and they go find those parts and they put it on you know so you know if you get offered one of those that's probably what you're going to get okay well we're 30 minutes in almost and we can start questions and answers so I, I haven't had a whole lot of new questions, but if you, I've got just enough here. So, um, you know, just being out of action, out of commission, I'm not talking to the people who I normally talk to and, and people, you know, don't have the access to me that they would normally have. So anyway, we will go with this. Why do people call Moisen the Gant rifles garbage rods? Uh, because they're, number one, they're stupid. Uh, and number two, they're stupid and number three they're equating it to something that is not militarily useful or is not a good firearm both of which are a mistake now is the Moisen Nagant a the pinnacle of the rifle makers art 
Well, no, it's not. In, in fact, it's designed for industrial warfare, mass production, to deliver a level of performance which is acceptable to the military force using it. And it does all those things. I mean, hey, is it the fastest reloading? Is it the smoothest action? Is it, does it shoot the tightest groups? No, it's none of those things. But it functions, and it functions in the very harsh environments that were encountered on the Eastern Front. It, it is easy to make. You know, they could make four Moisin de Gant rifles to every SVT, which is why they just couldn't equip everybody with SVTs. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was what it was designed to do. It is, it is a, another example of Soviet brilliance in total. But individually, it doesn't look that impressive. You know, you look at it and you see, yeah, you know, this, this isn't really as well made, da, 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 da. But when you look at the millions of them that they made, you realize that the impact, that the, the deficiencies in quality that we as civilian users and collectors see 80 years later just didn't matter. It just did not matter. So uh, it was, it's, it's actually an extremely profound concept of a firearm uh, you know and and actually brilliant in execution uh, but the fact of the matter is is it is it the pinnacle is it does it exhibit the kind of quality that even a rice substitute standard rifle like an 03a3 would and the answer is no it, it, it does not but it was good enough you know sometimes perfect is the enemy of good enough and it was good, and they, they saw that. They they chose these, the answer that was good enough, and it's a very good rifle. It's not a garbage rod at all. Um, and in fact, prices for those are about three, I think the cheapest I've seen is about 375 for, you know, the 9130, just straight rifle. You know, the rifles that used to be 35, 40 bucks. I, I think I told you at an estate sale one time, I, I knew that the person who's, who's uh, who passed away so I went there, and I actually went there just to support, to say, hey, you know, because his family didn't have a lot of cash. So I went there, and I saw a Moisin Nagant hex receiver rifle, um, and I paid $75 for it. And people thought I was crazy because you could get them literally for $40. For You know, you could get a Moisin Nagant. Now, those were the round receiver 9130s. I didn't even pay that much attention to this one but this one is actually 1897 a dragoon rifle finish marked you know and a very very cool rifle and so I, i'm very happy and of course nowadays 75 dollars would be an absolute steal for that but back then i overpaid and so i look at it this way if you want one buy it because five years from now ten years from now it, it's not going to be any cheaper uh, are there still troves of bolt action and other kind of early Cold War weapons out there? I, I get asked that occasionally, and and the answer is yes. Um, if we can, but right now they're not accessible to us because they're in places like Venezuela, they're in places like Cuba. Uh, I imagine that even though 
I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime, but now we're, we're getting very close relations with Vietnam. Maybe some will come out of there. You know, the, the odd part is most people in Vietnam were not alive during the Vietnam War. So to them, it's no big deal. And they just kind of want to be friends with us. So um, that's, that's something different. Some people in my generation are going to look at that and kind of go, huh? You know, but anyway. Um, there are these stocks out there. And perhaps eventually we'll get access to them if there's a... A regime change in Venezuela, regime change in, in Cuba, could see, could see, you know, them flooding in. But I just don't know that we're going to ever have bargain basement prices. When you look at the RTI guns that are coming in from Ethiopia, and frankly, you know, that, that's a big mixed bag because they are, um, you know, some of them are kind of rare or models that we've never, don't really see over here very much. But really, the condition is not really what most people are looking for. If they're just looking for a type of one of these rifles, the condition is probably good enough. But they're not getting out pristine examples. And uh, they were charging some, some, you know, some serious money for the M1 carbines. A lot of those were cool carbines. Uh, I, I liked them. They were, a lot of them were the World War II style, unmodified to, you know, the post-war specs. They didn't have the bayonet lugs. They still had the flip-up sights and... They look more like the World War II carbines, so they're actually looking pretty good. Um, some of that was actually a lot of fun, but, you know, condition is everything, and a lot of people... Um, there are some collectors who like the been there, done that, has a lot of character, and then there are some that, that insist on pristine examples. So, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. I found a sporterized Mauser on the cheap. It can't be restored. What use is it? Well, um, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I don't know that it's even going to shoot as well as a very inexpensive Savage or Ruger. So it, it's, you know, you have no advantage there. It's probably going to be in seven or eight millimeter Mauser. Um, that is getting harder to find. It's not like finding, you know, 308 or 30 out six or something else. Depending on quality, now sporterized guns. Now, since this one's on the cheap, we're going to guess that it was probably a home job, which is what we would call a Bubba job. And it probably looks atrocious. Okay, but there were some, there were, there, there was, there is a population of very, very fine sporting rifles that were built on, um, especially World War II German actions, because they were so cheap and plentiful after the war, you could get them for nothing. So if you're a gunsmith, you could put a lot of work into it and really, um, you know, realize a pretty nice profit because you could make a very nice gun. And Mausers, uh, were very popular commercial hunting rifles. So, uh, you know, but if it's on the cheap, it's probably been bubbed, probably probably whatever degree of ugliness it is. Uh, what, what use is it? Well, you know, if you need a rough weather gun where you don't want to take your nicer gun out into the, the blizzard or the rainstorm, could do that. Uh, could use, you know, if you're an 8mm Mauser and you're in bear country and you need a bear gun, you know, you want to keep a rifle around for bears. 
it'd be kind of a closer range. You know, you're talk, probably talking under, well, 75 yards and under, we'll just say. Um, you know, it could be could be useful for that. That's a powerful enough cartridge that'll 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 definitely do the job. So, uh, it, you know, it'd be a very good gun for that. Um, if you are a tinkerer and you want to play with guns, well, choose the ones that are already wrecked and can't be restored. And yeah, you could get another barrel. You could probably uh, work it into something like a 35 Whalen. Um, so it, it would have as a basic material platform for a better rifle. Now, the, the trick is, of course, you're going to invest more in that than if you just bought what you want. But, you know, if you want an unusual caliber or something very unusual, one of a kind, you know, that's not a bad way to go. That's not a bad, not a bad thing. So those are the uses for it, but there are no cheap rifles anymore even the old cheap yugo mausers and you know those things were dirt cheap eight millimeter uh, you know they they're they're all going up and they're just more they're more expensive than these civilian counterpart rifles which are you know in calibers that are a lot easier to get ammo for so why would you why would you mess with one of those unless it's you know totally free here's another question it seems that imported shotguns are cheap are they a good buy? Uh, well, I don't buy the weird-looking AR, you know, kind of ones. I, I would be very skeptical of those. But, you know, if you want it, it and, you know, go ahead and buy it. The, the nice part about it is you don't have much in it. And I think those are two to four hundred bucks. So you can, you can you know, play with those. I've seen um, what look like... You know, just regular kind of, you know, pump shotgun clones. Some some even look like 870 clones um, that are, you know, they start at sub $200. So I don't know where you can go too far wrong with something like that. Now, if you're going to shoot clays every weekend, you're probably going to have some parts breakage and wear it out, I'd assume. But if you're just a casual user, I think it'll be just fine. I think uh, definitely... Having it for that kind of money is probably a a wise thing to do if you have use for it. So uh, I don't. I've not heard that they're completely bad and will completely let you down. Are they something you want to go hunt ISIS with? No, probably not. But um, they're they're ex probably excellent for home defense and just to have uh, because having a gun is a lot better than having no gun. Okay, here's another question. What are your impressions of the Smith & Wesson 637 Performance Center? Uh, we just bought one of these. I bought it for my spouse. Um, I think it is it is a sterling weapon. It is outstanding. Uh, you know, I've had I've had snub noses that hey, the you know, the sights on them are a joke. They're not regulated. But Smith & Wesson did a great job. Now, Performance Center makes a lot of difference. That action is really smooth. It's a very lightweight gun. Um, but the action is smooth and the sights are regulated very, very well. Now, it's a 5-shot 38 Special. Uh, they say they're rated to take plus P. I would not put a huge number of plus P's through them, but you could uh, carry plus P's. It, it's not, you know... 
it's not outrageous so so I'd do it you know it's a good it's an excellent it's really an excellent firearm it really is so so they're well worth the money they're very lightweight very convenient they come with a nice little wooden grip which is easy to hold you know a lot of times small guns have very small grips which make them harder to hold this one is pretty good so yeah I so far and I haven't put a lot of rounds through it but so far two thumbs up great gun and and I'll tell you the reason we bought it because people are going fucking crazy people are crazy um, you go out into public you don't know what you're gonna be confronted with I mean there are people who you know get angry at gas station I mean I was filling up my uh, car with gas about a month ago and uh, there was a big a configuration of I don't know if it was domestic or what the deal was but there was obviously <laughs> alcohol was obviously involved but there was a big problem right there. I'm just filling my gas. You know, I I just want to fill my gas. Go. But there was a big problem there. You never know how that's going to spill over. Um, people getting angry and emotional. A lot of road rage out there. Um, what we really got the gun for was, you know, that's one reason. Another reason is my wife likes to take walks. And at our tiny little country place, uh, you never know what you're going to come across. There could be critters. There could be anybody. You know, there could there could be people, bad people there. So you have that in your pocket, easy to carry, just a nice little piece of insurance to have. So there you are. Okay, here's one that, of course, I get asked once in a while. How many and what type of firearms should a prepper have? The answer to that is I do not have an answer. I have some thoughts, but I do not have an answer because everyone's situation is different. So here are my here are my thoughts. The usual claptrap you hear is, well, you need a center fire battle type rifle, and they're usually not specific enough whether it should be an AR or something larger, you know, 7.62 or or um, 5.56. A 12-gauge shotgun, a 22, and then a high-capacity 9mm pistol. Okay. All of those are, are very generic solutions to problems. I would say that if you're out on your own homestead, um, the 9mm pistol becomes less valuable to you. And a large-caliber pistol supplemented by a 22 caliber pistol would become you know, much more useful to you. Uh, you know, I had to shoot a woodchuck a couple months ago. Okay, you, you don't really do that with a 9mm. You know, you just don't do that. Um, I used a 22. That's, that's what it took. That's all it took. That was it. Um, 9mm performs, unless you're using the top-end defense loads, allegedly, uh, it, it performs very poorly on game whether it's nuisance you know varmint type game or anything else so therefore i don't the only reason to carry it is if you're in an environment where you're going to have two-legged problems and in which case i would opine that uh, essentially a 1911 45 style pistol is a a really nice thing to have especially if you hand load and you, you're using lead bullets um 
I find that that or 45 auto rim or some other, if you prefer revolvers, uh, 44 special is another another good one. Those are all excellent cartridges. 3840, another excellent cartridge. 4440, 45 cold. Those are all excellent cartridges for a handgun, where you don't know really what you're going to be confronting. So, uh, I would say those are, you know, I I I kind of. I kind of put the nine millimeter on the shelf and and say, well, the, these other things seem to be practically seem to be a lot better. Uh, the, the other the other side of the coin is every gun you choose, you got to realize it's not just the the alpha male man of the house who's going to be using that. Um, my spouse does not really enjoy shooting um, seven six two NATO rifles, so therefore that's not a good good one. Um, you're gonna have a whole lot of th you're gonna have a whole lot of things. So, just the four gun basic armory um, guns are only good if people are willing to use them and practice with them. I'll, I'll tell you that straight up. the The choice you should use is what could I possibly be confronted with, and how do you what situations, and what is the best response? And the best response might be an AR, but if you have family members that won't pick it up and use it because it looks too high speed and too cool or they don't know how to you know they when you're out on the range they know how to turn on the site but maybe they don't know how to turn on the red dot site all this other stuff then you have to go with other solutions some of those other solutions are are pretty basic uh, pistol caliber carbines and you know something like lever action 3030 is another good option so it really depends on how many family members you have who are capable of using a firearm responsibly and what will they use and then you go into the whole thing of what will they use in practice with what will they feel comfortable with and what kind of sights that's another thing I, I've seen I've seen the gamut from very inexperienced shooters who don't get iron sights they just don't quite understand how they work, no matter how much you explain it. But they kind of like the red dot or the scope because, hey, it's simpler. Okay, I put the crosshairs. It's like the movies. I put the crosshairs on what I want to shoot, or I put the red dot where I want the bullet to go. And, you know, they, they get that, and it's easier. I've had the other side of the coin where they get the iron sights, and they just cannot get the eye box or the 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 comfort feel and and grip on the weapon with a with an optical sight so it's you know you, you you have to find these things out and you probably will find that some family members gravitate better towards one thing than the other so that's what I would say you have to uh, there's no cookie cutter solution for that one no cookie cutter solution uh, next one this is something I don't know anything about but I do have one comment Arcanic pistols any good? And the answer is, canic pistols, as far as I know, are are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Now they're a lot of them are all based on modern features that I really have nothing to do with. I I don't I don't like or want optical sights on any gun I have for. I don't want optic an optical sight on a handgun I'm going to use for serious purpose. That's, I'll just put it that way. But they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of features. Nice, uh, Larry Vickers on a <laughs> classic firearms podcast 
Now they sell a lot of Canik guns, so I'm sure this is this shaded what he said, but um, he said they're fine. He said they're great at the price point. They're great value. Blah 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 blah. You know, now here's a guy who's who's shooting Wilson combat guns. So I don't know. You know, I don't know what to do with all that sometimes. Here is another question, and I think that's because InRange just did a review of it. Are Tesis 1911 A1 pistols any good? Uh, I'm intrigued by them. I like them. Here's the two things that I've seen just in the photographs. Number one, in, in 1943, a 40, I don't know if it was late 42 or early 43, 1911 A1 pistols got an improved front sight. It was kind of a, it was kind of a ramp front sight. If you look at, if you look at them, you'll see it. That kind of replaced the old half moon sight that had been on there since World War One. The Canik pistols seem to have the old front sight, and it's not as good as the the uh, later one. So I I don't really I, I think that would be somewhat of a problem. Although you can you can get that changed out. Um, the other thing is, if you want an exact GI 1911 A1 duplicate, the Canic pistol seems to have a lower ejection port. Um, that's probably done for a variety of reasons. It's, it's not obnoxious or egregious, but it is different. So I basically look at that and say, well, you know, it's a little bit different than a 1911 A1. It's... it's but it's it's correctable. You just live with the ejection port. You just swap out the front sight. The price point's about four hundred bucks, so um, that's a great deal. And apparently, it it basically has nineteen eleven A one reliability. So I'd I'd grab one. Yeah, I'd grab one. If you're looking for one, grab it. It's never going to get cheaper. You know, it's not going to get cheaper. And why do you want to spend six hundred dollars? A year and a half from now on a pistol you could buy for 400 today so i'd get it so tesis yeah they're they're a thumbs up they're a thumbs up but i have not shot one myself and nor am i likely to because i have enough 1911s floating around so i don't i don't need to i don't need to buy yet another one um okay what do you think about pistol versions of rifles like the fnfal ar ak hk91 and others okay well number one I, I don't like them um the pistol versions they have to have a brace the atf is going to come after the braces so you know if they do they do um i would be very uh i'd be very dubious about buying that and if you're gonna and if you're gonna buy one and then say well i'll register if you're in a state that will allow you to register it as an sbr um just buy the real buttstock anyway it's going to be a lot more comfortable number two unless you're getting those in some sort of pistol caliber uh they're going to be they're going to have horrific muzzle blast recoil it's not going to be a very pleasant gun to shoot um all of that increases stuff is going to be harder on your optical sight if you choose to use one um hey i just I'm just not a believer. I'm just not a believer. And these things are costing a lot of money. So I, I prefer to go. There's a beauty in going with guns, f rifles, and pistols that were designed for military contracts and use. Because a lot of things have been worked out. 
You want a short-barreled FAL, go with the para. You know, a lot of people don't like the recoil of the para, but you'll like it a whole lot less if you buy an FN FAO pistol with, with some goofy brace on it. You'll like that a whole lot less. But if you got to have a compact weapon, get the para. You know, and you can get one, build one, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, I went through that phase where I put a, I put the telescoping wire stock on an HK91, and yeah, that's a beat that'll beat you to death. It beats your face and it beats your shoulder. And while it makes the rifle more compact, you you pay a price. You'll pay a price with these stocks, these you know braces and a short barrel you'll pay a real price there um you know i realize there are some nine millimeter ak's out there there's some nine millimeter ars that's fine go with that but uh when it comes to the full power versions I, you know the, the other thing too is you're never going to get inexperienced shooters to fire those things effectively because they will be so intimidated by the noise and the recoil you know so that's what's going to be it i would say leave those alone don't waste your money i don't know why they turn those out but they they do and uh you know i i've never done it but i would love to take an hk91 pistol and an hk91 rifle and engage targets and i think what you would find is even in a cqb environment the rifle is going to be much more wieldy, much better balanced, and it's going to do much better. So I would say, what are you getting it for? And I would say that the regular rifle probably does just as well. Anyway, that is it for this edition of Old School Guns, a podcast that tells you like it is. If you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com, or you can post them in the comments section on Podbean, and we will get after them. So I appreciate you putting up with uh, uh, my bad sinuses and my COVID recovery. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>